Good morning, brothers and sisters. Thank you so much, United Evangelical Church of the Philippines, for having me again this morning. I thank the elders, the deacons, the pastors, and all the faithful followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. On behalf of your brothers and sisters in the Lord at the Philippine Council of Evangelical Churches, I bring you greetings and salutations, brothers and sisters, on your 92nd anniversary celebration. As we all navigate through this pandemic crisis, I hope and I pray, my dear brothers and sisters, that by the grace and the power of our loving, good, and faithful Heavenly Father, that you are all safe and well in the best of everything. And most especially, that you are maintaining balance between your spiritual life and physical health during this very challenging times. How many of you would remember this building? This is the Leaning Tower of Pisa. I know some of you have been there on your special tours or vacation. It is the freestanding bell tower, 179 feet tall, of the Cathedral of the Italian City of Pisa. It took 177 years to complete this structure because construction was halted several times due to war. Construction began in 1173. Can you imagine that? And although the tower was intended to stand vertically straight, it began leaning southward once construction progressed to the third floor. The tower, according to researches, moves about one twentieth of an inch every year. And right now, it is 17 feet out of plumb. Why is it leaning? Actually, it is leaning due to poorly laid foundation. Yes, poorly laid foundation. It was told that the foundation of the Tower of Pisa is only 10, deep, uh, 10 feet deep, and it loses substrate. The word Pisa actually means marshy land. That's where it was built which would give some clue as to why the tower began to lean even before it was completed. What can, we, what can be done to fix it? That is the question since long time ago. In 1999, for example, scientists and construction experts painstakingly removed soil from beneath the north side of the tower uh, to help ease it slightly back toward the vertical and toward a stability it has known for over 300 years. So what they did was they removed the soil with very large drills. 
not only the tower moved northwards, but the south side of the foundation has come up a little, which is a very positive result. But what can we learn from this illustration? What can we learn from the Tower of Pisa? It is the importance of a good foundation. Foundation. And just as these workers needed to fix the foundation of this historic tower in order to strengthen, uh, to strengthen up, Paul needed to do the same thing at the church which is at Corinth, a very important city during the time of the Apostle Paul. If you will go to, this, uh, to the book of the first and the second Corinthians, this is the city of Corinth. The church at Corinth needed some repair. There have been quarreling in the church. There have been fighting. There have been immorality. And there's cover-up. Much worse is the cover-up of immorality in the church. There is jealousy among the members. And yes, there is division in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. It sounds like some churches today, the body of Christ. It needed to be brought back to the plumb. It needed to be straightened up. And for several chapters in the book of Corinth, we have been watching the Apostle Paul doing this repair, giving instructions, praying for the church, writing them two letters so that they will go back to the vertical, the straight position, and to have the repairs, much repairs uh, that is needed. Some scholars, Bible scholars, call this letter of the Apostle Paul as a tear-stained letter. You can imagine Paul writing the believers, the church of Corinth, crying because of the division of the church and because of the problems that besets the church. You might ask, and we might ask, what are the reasons the real reasons why there is division in the church. And so, let's jump into the passage and apply these truths to ourselves here today at UECP, celebrating 92nd anniversary, strengthening our unity in the Lord Jesus Christ. What really divides the church? Well, the answer is this. The Apostle Paul in the passage that we will read in, uh, in the book of 1 Corinthians, we noticed that Paul was contrasting Christians and non-Christians. Paul made the important distinction that Christians have the Holy Spirit in their lives. And the non-Christians do not have the Holy Spirit. But here in chapter 3, the passage that we are reading today, Paul would not be contrasting Christians and non-Christians, but rather, he will be contrasting two kinds of Christians. So he's talking to the believers here, to the Christians in Corinth, the mature and the immature 
believers. The spiritual and the worldly believers. Take note, all believers are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. But to some believers, the Holy Spirit is not in charge. The Holy Spirit is put on the side. And so Paul is trying to explain that it is one thing to have the Spirit, and it is another thing to have the Holy Spirit in charge or to be fully in control. And so he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 to 4, Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly. Mere infants in Christ, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy, there is quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another I follow Apollos. Are you not mere men? Paul and Apollos were mentioned here as leaders of the Corinthian believers. But some are saying, is it the issue, an issue of leadership in the, in the church? Well, some would say it is an issue of leadership because of different styles and different personalities. And we know leadership is very important. But it is, is it really an issue of leadership on this context? Is it Paul's weakness or Apollos' limitations as leaders or as a worker of Jesus Christ? Paul is saying it is more of the immaturity of the body of Christ, of the believers. And so Paul would like to address the Christians at Corinth are spiritual, but he cannot because they are not spiritual. He says they are worldly. They are mere infants in Christ. And their immaturity resembles that of adults acting like infants by still eating only baby food. Imagine this picture. Look at this picture. Imagine an adult sucking on a bottle. Wow, this is a very disgusting picture. But this is the picture of the immaturity of some believers, including those who were in Corinth during the time of the Apostle Paul. The fact that there is jealousy, there is quarreling among them, it shows that they are worldly and acting like mere men and people as if there is no Holy Spirit in the church and in their lives. It is so painful, brothers and sisters, to see that the divisions in the body of Christ in the church is caused by the spiritual immaturity of believers. Churches have been focused, many churches have been focused on the numerical growth of the church. They are concerned about the numbers. 
Many people are being added to the church. But the problem is, many are not growing in their faith and are not being nurtured in the faith. So it is very important to balance numerical growth and qualitative growth, the quantitative growth and the qualitative growth. As Paul says, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? We could add in our situation, for since there is gossip, there is lack of love for other believers, are you not worldly? Or we can add, where there is little interest in fellowship or other growth opportunities, are you not worldly? Where there is little investment of time and effort in the ministry, are you not worldly? Where there is a little effort in outreach or evangelism, are you not worldly? Where there is inconsistent financial giving to the Lord's work, are you not worldly? The Corinthians need to grow in the faith. And yes, my dear brothers and sisters, every one of us, every believer that is indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God, we all need to grow in our faith. Ultimately, as a church, dear UECP, when we stand before God, He is not going to compare membership numbers. He will not ask about the size of the budget. What kind of measurements will God use? God is going to measure the faithfulness of believers in the church. Have we been faithful to love God and love people in Jesus' name? Have we been faithful to hold the Bible as our authority to obey it, to follow the instructions of the Word of God? Were we faithful to call people to true repentance and faith in Jesus? Or did we cave into the trap of entertainment and telling them, telling people what they want to hear? Brothers and sisters, if we are faithful and if we will grow in spiritual maturity, then we will have times of numerical and qualitative growth. But at the same time, there will be times that when we want, for God makes things grow. The Great Commission tells us that we must never stop trying to reach the lost and therefore grow in number. But the Great Commandment tells us also that the most important measure of growth in the church is our love for God and love for our fellow human beings. If we are going, growing in the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, then we know we are on the right track on our spiritual growth. But when we don't grow in Christ, then we look more and more like people who are not believers, who do not have 
the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in their lives. If we are not growing in the Spirit, then we should not be surprised by a church fraught with struggle and division. That's certainly what was happening in the church of Corinth. And so what was Paul's suggestion? What was Paul's advice so that the body of Christ in Corinth will be strengthened in unity? And so here comes the second point. What brings unity in the body of Christ? Unity comes when believers with growing maturity have the right perspective about God and about the church. Paul reminded them of who they are in Christ, the church of Corinth, the believers. And so here, Paul used three pictures of the church of Jesus Christ that can help either avoid or heal divisions in the body of Christ. The first picture is this. The church is God's field. The church is God's field. And so Paul wrote here, what, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe. As the Lord has assigned, under landed word, as the Lord has assigned to each his task, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, referring to the church. You are God's field, God's building. This is not a very difficult metaphor for us to understand, is it? The church is like a field that is owned by God. God is the owner. And God assigns laborers. God assigns farmers. God assigns field hands. And each one of them are given different responsibilities in the body of Christ. Some would plow. Some would plant the seed. Some would water the plants. Some would weed. And some, later on, would harvest different responsibilities. One thing is clear in this passage, brothers and sisters. None of the workers amount to anything on their own. Each only does what they are told. And the only one who can cause the growth in the church is God the owner of the field. So is there any reason for them to take pride in the leadership of Paul? I follow Paul. I follow Apollos or anyone else. Certainly not. Yes, Paul arrived on the scene first. He was the church planter. And then Apollos came later. He nurtured 
the believers. Their efforts are complementary parts of a single agricultural project. Both roles are important. Without the waterer, the crop will die. Without the planter, there will be no crop to water. But without God, there will be nothing at all. There will be no field, there will be no seed, there will be no water, no workers, and certainly no growth in the church. My dear brothers and sisters, UECP, 92 years, this is God's church. All of you, members of this church, are God's fellow workers, God's fellow laborers. Praise God that God allowed us to work in His garden. Every one of us, every one of you, brothers and sisters, have different roles, but every role is important. Praise God for the pastors. Praise God for the elders. Praise God for the preachers and teachers who pray for you. Those who are administering the church. Those who are leading and serving the church for the continuing ministry. The elders, the deacons. And praise God for all the followers of the Lord Jesus Christ who support the work of God in prayers, in financial giving, encouraging other believers so others can hear the gospel also. Who is the most important person at UECP? Certainly not any kind of farmer or field workers. God is the most important person in this church. God is the most important one. If we keep the truth clearly in mind, then we will avoid some of the traps that leads to division. The second picture that the apostle gave is the, the, the picture of a building. He said, the church is God's building. Paul wrote, by the grace God has given me, I laid the foundation as an expert builder and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It, be, it will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive the reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. 1 Corinthians 3, 10-15. In this new metaphor, Paul compares himself to a head building contractor. Some of you are building contractors. You would understand this clearly. Who has carefully laid the foundation of a building. 
And then, He has allowed the rest of the work to be done by the subcontractors. If their work is not up to code, so to speak, if they fail to use suitable materials, if they use substandard materials, there will be dark consequences in the building later on. We have seen the tragic results in the aftermath when the buildings have not been built up to code. But rather than using an earthquake or hurricane or typhoon here, Paul used the image of fire in testing the integrity of the building, which is a traditional biblical image for God's judgment, fire. The point is the same, brothers and sisters. A calamity is coming that is going to test the structural integrity of a construction work. So we better build the church with great care. Our construction should not be hasty. It should not be just for a show. It must be built solidly from the ground up in a way that is designed to endure. As we saw in our opening illustration of the Tower of Pisa in Italy, the foundation, dear brothers and sisters, is critical. Paul declares that no one can lay any foundation other than the one or laid already laid, which is Jesus Christ. One of our favorite old hymns of the church declares, and some of you would remember this, the church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, our Lord. But then as we built on that foundation, we must be careful to use the right kind of materials. The six different materials that Paul mentions are perhaps arranged in descending order of value. Gold, silver, <clears throat> costly stones, wood, hay, and straw. They have no special significance beyond the fact that the last three are combustible <clears throat> and the first three are not. But Paul's point is simple here. That some leaders are building with valuable fireproof material. That is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The church is being built as we advance the gospel of the, the Lord Jesus Christ. But others are building the church with transitory materials. The fads of human wisdom that will be consumed by flames in God's coming building inspection. For us, that means that Christ and Him crucified must be our foundation. And our materials must not be made up of human personalities. It is not based on human reasoning or human fads and gimmicks of people. Churches built on personalities, built on human reasoning or human fads and gimmicks will lead to division and destruction. 
the third picture here, the last picture that Paul gave, is the church is God's temple. Paul wrote, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. God's temple is sacred. Those are strong words. And you are that temple. The church is not just any building, brothers and sisters. It is, in fact, the temple of God. The place where the Holy Spirit of God dwells. The image here is of the Holy Spirit dwelling in the church community as a whole. You will notice in chapter 6, and we have no time to discuss that, he will talk about the temple as the individual. But keep in mind, brothers and sisters, that when Paul made this statement, the Jewish temple in Jerusalem was still standing and inactive unlike today. For Jews like Paul, the Jerusalem temple had been understood as the central focus of God's presence in the world. But the role of the temple, as Paul speaks here, as the dwelling place of God, is now in you and me, the church. It's now UECP. How amazing. Paul's present point is this. If the church is the dwelling place of God, and listen to this, then God, according to the passage that Paul said, God will surely deal severely with those who corrupt the church and those who damage the temple of the Holy Spirit. Anyone who would split the community of God is offending God and is calling down God's judgment on their own head. There is no matter, this is no matter to be taken lightly, my brothers and sisters. Those who would damage the unity of this community are interfering with God's presence and the work of God and will certainly incur judgment. These are the words of the Apostle Paul in the verse that we read. And so Paul finishes out the chapter by repeating the themes that he has developed in the letter up to this point. God's wisdom is greater than the wisdom of the world. And so, to all of us, there's no more boasting about men, what men can do. But everything belongs to God. All glory and honor and thanksgiving for UECP, 92nd anniversary, belongs only to God. In conclusion, I would like to leave to you just three words to remember the importance of keeping the unity in the body of Christ as our application. The first word is community. This is our common unity, UECP. This is our community. 
You are God's church. You are God's field. You are God's building. And you are God's temple. You are the community. It's time to keep a humble perspective about our contribution to God's work. It's all about God. This is not about us. The second word is communion. Communion. It's time to grow up and stop being immature and worldly. We need to be nurtured. We need to be discipled and grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's time to appreciate. Let us protect our union. Let us protect the church. It is God's field. It is God's building. And it is God's temple. And the last word is commission. Our common mission in our response to this beautiful benefits, wonderful benefits of being part of the body of Christ. Our common mission is to advance the gospel. Make disciples of all the nations to the ends of the earth. It's time to keep building with the right kind of materials on the right foundation. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And not on the fad and not on the waste of men and the power of men. Thank you very much, brothers and sisters at UECP. Again, happy 92nd anniversary. God bless you all.